This episode of Kid Lit These Days is sponsored by Book Riot's newsletters. Did you know Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre, including Kid Lit, as well as book news and deals? Sign up for book deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day, handpicked by our editorial staff. There's also Today in Books, our daily newsletter summing up the most interesting headlines from the book world every day. And don't forget, the kids are all right, which covers everything new and interesting in the world of kid lit. We've also got newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, YA lovers, mystery thriller aficionados, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash newsletters to sign up for the newsletters that are the most interesting to you. That's bookriot.com slash newsletters. Hello, and welcome to episode 45 of Kidlit These Days, a Book Riot podcast. At Kidlit These Days, we are your Kidlit connoisseurs, pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Matthew Winner, alongside Nicole Young, and we are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, librarians, and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We're recording this episode on January 3rd, 2021, and on today's episode, we are sharing our most anticipated Kidlit releases of 2021 so far. But first, Nicole Young, Happy New Year! Happy New Year, Matthew! We didn't say that before we started recording. Happy New Year! Happy 2021! <laughs> we made it through. I feel like I should <laughs> shake everyone's hand between now and, I don't know, like the sixth month of the year. Be like, you made it. You made it. You made it. <laughs> Way to go, team. You did it. It reminds me of, because we watched this movie about a million times over winter break, uh, in Elf, when yes. Buddy the Elf runs into that coffee shop with the sign that yes. says, World's Best Coffee. Yes. Congratulations! You did it! World's Best Cup of Coffee! <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we're here, and um, we're going to do our very best mm -hmm. to highlight some of the upcoming Killit releases that you and I have heard about that we are also excited about. This is just going to really scratch the surface, but I think that it's going to um, give folks a whole lot to be excited about in this first quarter, at least. Yeah, uh, and then who knows what else will be coming out. We can't wait for, for everyone to fill us in on what we miss. Well, do you want to start us off with a sponsor? Sure. This episode is sponsored by Read Harder 2021. Book Riot's annual challenge is back. Once again, Read Harder 2021 has 24 tasks designed to help you break out of your reading bubble and expand your worldview through books. With new genres, new authors, and new points of view, the challenge will hopefully help you discover amazing books you wouldn't have otherwise picked. Read a romance by a trans or non-binary author, nonfiction about anti-racism, middle-grade mysteries, and more in this year's challenge. Go to bookriot.com slash readharder to get the full challenge task list and to check out the prizing for those who complete the challenge. That's bookriot.com slash readharder. Nicole, do you have any book challenges or, or goals that you're keeping in mind for this year? I don't know if you ever make goals for, for what you want to read from one year to the next. So I did. I had a couple of years ago, I had a goal with my best friend. She and I were like, we're going to read this amount of books by the end of the year. And neither. I mean, we failed miserably that year. It's funny, though, this year, I think because of this podcast and in general, because we were in the house so much, I read so many books in 2020. I mean, I listened to so many audiobooks. Um, yeah. I, I listen. I read so many books this year. Um, so I'm not going to challenge myself around like a number or anything, but I definitely want to read new authors that I haven't read before. Um, something that kind of happened midway through the year was I just decided I was going to be reading mo like books mostly by black authors. Um, and I think that that held true pretty much till the end of the year. Um, and so I would love to do that again. Um, and when we get to the um, the book list recommendations, I, I tried to kind of stay in that vein, just shouting out black authors um, who are writing this year. But I, I reading challenges used to be a coveted part of my childhood. I don't know um, if hmm. they're still doing that. And um, I don't know if y'all are doing that in like libraries and schools, but 
We used to have a summer reading challenge. Yeah, summer reading challenges were huge for me. Um, There was like this Pizza Hut thing where if you read a certain amount of books, you could get. Yeah, still going on. Oh, is it? Oh yeah. Oh my god, I love that. I love it. I think about um, new types of reading challenges. You know, we we used to have just like a, a reading log that we would keep track of when I was in school. So you would be counting how many books you actually read. I remember in second grade in particular, I went head to head with another classmate who I still remember. Her name is Elizabeth Morningstar. <laughs> I don't know if that's still her last name, but that was, that was uh, who we were in elementary school. And uh, we were reading whatever certain number of books each, each week or month, keeping track of it. Maybe it was in first grade now that I say that, but Folks that I know now in teaching and library world often keep track of what they're reading through uh, like Goodreads, which will give you the number of pages you read Mm. at the end of the year and and how many, uh, what's the average page number of a book that you read. I'm glad that my my Libro FM account keeps track of how many audiobooks I've listened to and tells me not only how many books I've listened to, but how many minutes I've listened each year. Mm. I don't listen exclusively on Libro because that's where I, I buy books. I'm also checking out books from the library. But I will say that one challenge that I did with my students that was a little different from those sort of page count challenges was trying to challenge ourselves and, and one another to you know read a book that is from someone who who's from a background different from yours read a book that takes place in another country read a book that's translated from another language uh read a book in a different format than you're used to mm-hmm. those things that sort of get you to read more widely just to try stuff out i've always been a fan of uh and in fact the i, I had um i think it was last year i bought uh Book Riot's Read Harder journal. You can mm-hmm. buy a print version of it, and I would keep track of it. But I always get hung up on recording what I've read. That's always the barrier for me, probably because I just read so much, and then also have these other plates spinning that it's 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 easier for me to just look on a shelf. I just hold on to the stuff that I really like, mm-hmm. and I share the stuff that I'm I'm not as much a fan of. I pass it on to another person. Uh, so then it's just easier to be like, oh, yeah, I know what I liked because I either put it on Instagram or it's right here on my shelf to my right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way. I'm terrible about recording, which was why I did all of my listening, my audiobook listening on Overdrive through the library this year. And so yeah. at the end of the year, I was like, let me just look and see what I read in Overdrive. And um, it was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> but it was I was grateful that they were keeping track and that I, I didn't have to because I'm terrible also about keeping track. Isn't that nice? I want to ask you now, do you, are you also a reader that will read and abandon books? I am. I just, that is something that I've only given myself permission to do in the past few years. I used to be. I was just going to say, it's a skill that I had to acquire as well. Oh man. I used to be a soldier through type of person. I'm like, we're going <gasps> to, we are going to finish this. We're going to finish it. But then I just, someone said, I think actually someone at Book Riot said one time that there are just so many beautiful books in the world. Why stick with the one that you don't like? And I was like, you know what? <laughs> It's true. That's a great point. It's true. I read on a on a state book award committee uh, where one year one of the people on my committee said that her rule of thumb that she shares with students, and I then just applied it to myself, is when you're picking up a novel, you need to read 100 pages minus your age. <laughs> uh, and the idea was if if that book doesn't hook you, an adult, by that time, mm-hmm. then there's no way it's going to hook a kid. Mm-hmm. If I'm reading, you know, 60 pages of a book, of a novel, a middle grade novel, that's only a total of like, I don't know, 150 or 200 pages, and still I'm not hooked, then then, yep. <laughs> then I'm re- I, I need to move on and find a book that, that is hooking me uh, better. I mean, and it's, it's hard, right? Because you, you know that the author did put something beautiful into the world. They were trying to put their, you know, their, their thoughts, their work, their stories into the world. And it's just... My consolation these days is like, you know what? It's for somebody else. It's not for me. Um, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. All that means is it's just not the book for you. You don't write yeah. a book for, for you know, we, we, we seek writing books for the widest audience to connect with it. But we also know that the ones that really often connect deepest are the ones that are specific, that really need to find their reader. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that end up being so lasting. So I get it. I fully get it. You know, we... um. Today's guest is someone that that 
that we were connecting with mutually, right? Mm-hmm. It was someone that I had known from uh, from first meeting her a couple of years ago uh, to to her company continuing to thrive, and uh, and when I connected with her, it was it was very much that way. It was it was a uh, several books, but I remember reading some of the books from her, going like, "This isn't a book for me," but I can tell that I can tell that it's a book for for this reader or that reader. Mm-hmm. And I love when books do that. Just thinking about that when it's, we can find those in picture books a lot easier because they're so much faster to read. But, but I started to sharpen that skill of, Oh, I know this isn't the right book for me, but I know that it is the right book for a bunch of students. And mm-hmm. I can picture that. So I like that. And, and, and um, I think certainly with, with all well, at the time, her company, Sailor company was called Barat Babies. Um, now it's Mango and Marigold Press, but at the time when she was publishing it, to know the the focus, the vision of the company, and the importance of each and every story that they were publishing just was so wonderful. It, it, I've really enjoyed our time together, Nicole, focusing on those small publishers that are just small, scrappy publishers with with a with a focus and a goal of trying to help a specific group of readers be seen yes. or a specific set of stories or voices uh, be seen or heard. And and uh, I'm so glad that you had the opportunity to to chat with Sailaja Joshi. Do you want to introduce her? For sure. Um, she and I had a lovely conversation. Thank you, Sailaja, for just making time to talk with us in Kidlit these days. But I can't wait for you all to hear. So growing up, Sailor Jajashi was a uh, voracious reader from Leo the Lop to Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and Amelia Bedelia, one of my favorites. She loved every book she read. If you were to ask her today what her favorite book is, she would likely say either the Harry Potter series or the Tao of Pooh. Um, it is. It really depends on the day. So Sailor Jah, um has been a passionate volunteer in the Hindu youth community. Uh, for over 20 years and is an accomplished academic with degrees from Northwestern University, Harvard University, and Simmons College. She also has worked with multiple startups, helping them refine their brands um, and develop their marketing communications. Her unique set of skills and experiences helped her to drive um, Barat Babies uh, forward, which is, as uh, Matthew mentioned, the original name of her publishing house. And her ambition was to have uh, Barat Babies as an active participant in the field of multicultural children's literature. Um, and so Barat Babies has now become Mango and Marigold Press. When she's not working to change the face of children's publishing, she can be found hanging with her two adorable children at the park or at circus class. So I'm excited for you all to hear this interview. Sailaja, thank you so much for joining mm-hmm. KidLit these days. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Nicole. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to dive into this conversation. So, okay, Mango and Marigold yeah. Press is an award-winning independent publishing house that shares, and this is from your website, and I really love it, the sweet and savory stories of the South Asian experience. Yeah. And so, I mean, Matthew and I do this every week. We talk about representation in kids' literature, and I'm a Black woman, so I'm always thinking about how we're representing Black children. Um, and I And I know just from the survey that we do every two weeks that, you know, South Asian representation in kids, American kids literature is vastly (laughs) needed and it's so represented. So I'm wondering, how do you think about representing the fullness of the South Asian experience at Mango and Marigold? And how are you making sure that you're including stories from the the many cultures and languages and religions and faiths that are under that umbrella yeah and um it's it's such a good question and i think for us um a lot of it is about letting authors and illustrators tell me what it means to be part of the south what the south asian experience is for them you know it's very purposely vague and when we were crafting that statement i remember a couple of people pushed back they're like oh my god like so what are people gonna like, are people going to get it? And the answer was that, yes, the pe- right people will get it. You know, the authors mm-hmm. and illustrators who are excited to tell me their stories will get it and know how to share it with me and understand what I'm looking for and what I'm asking for. In terms of how we do that from a practical standpoint, in terms like when I am reading manuscripts, 
I now very actively am looking for the voices who have been quieted and actively silenced in the South Asian communities. This could be because of caste. This could be because of colonialism. This could be because of their, them not feeling Indian enough. And I look to those and I read those more intently and with more purpose. And it's not because mm-hmm. I don't want to represent um, Hindu voices, for instance, in our books, which I think if you think of South Asia or India, you probably think of Hinduism as the predominant faith. Um, it's certainly not that, um, but it's looking for how that faith can be represented in multitudes. And I think like, for instance, a book like Finding Om does a really wonderful job of exploring the nuances and deep learnings of Hinduism without it being a text specifically about Hinduism. And more importantly, perhaps showcasing a family that is multiracial and showing Mm -hmm. how our families and what is Hindu and what is Indian is very different across communities. It's not monolithic. I love that. I think to the question about, um, will people get it right? Um, I think that's a question that people of color broadly are always asking when they're trying to enter this world of kids Mm -hmm. literature. Um, and I think your response is so valid, which is, you know, the people who need it and who need to get it will get it. Um, and that's who you're writing for. That's who you're, who you're producing and, um, and printing books for. Exactly. Right? I um, think earlier this year, I was part of this Desi Kidlet conference. And like Desi is this sort of, is a term for those folks who, you know, might call India or part of South Asia home. And I told folks that to tell their story is to be audacious and tenacious mm-hmm. and that yeah. their stories, there is someone who is dying to hear their story. I was like, I promise you, there is someone out there. And I always take that with me because I really believe that. And so I try really, really hard to give the stories that have been rejected by mainstream publishing, um, a true home and the true treatment they deserve at our press. I love that. Well, you have such a beautiful range of books, right? You're going from board books all the way up to YA um, at Mango and Marigold. And so you, you said to me earlier that you, you know, you let the authors tell you what stories they want to tell. Tell us a little bit about the authors and the illustrators that you've assembled. And what's next as you all continue to grow? Um, yeah, I have. Um, I am just very, very lucky to have an authentic team and a team that's passionate and driven. I'm very, very honest with authors and illustrators who sign on to my press. This is a passion project six years in. You know, there's no angel funding here. There's no VC funding here. Um, It's my blood, sweat, and tears and what I do on my off hours. And so I tell authors and illustrators, like, I'm here to pay you. But just so you know, I'm probably not going to give you the biggest advance out there. But I will give your story the most truest form. And those are the folks who come to share their stories with me. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. And I think with that honesty, it means that individuals are are really ready to not only work, but to shape their story in a truly authentic way. I think because mm-hmm. I come to them with such authentic, authenticity and candor, they're like, all right, she's not joking. Like she's, she, she means it when she says she wants to bring my story out there. And so they bring that same sort of passion to me. So I think our authors are passionate. Our authors are really interested in intersectionality. You know, I think that's a common theme I've started to find across from them. They're interested in really challenging the prevailing stories that are being told and telling them, telling the stories that they want to tell. And I love that so um, intensely about them. I'm sure also there's a comfort to your point about authenticity, right? Like there's a comfort in being able to present the story outside of the white gaze, right? Like you're not trying to impress a white publisher, a white whatever. They are trying to tell you, another Southeast Asian 
person, their story. And there's, I'm sure so much freedom in that. Yeah, um, I think so. I like to think so for sure. What stories haven't you told that you want, you hope that you get to, to publish at Mar- Mango and Marigold? Um, yeah, I think that's, a, that's a great question. And I think for me, I am incredibly excited to start to tell stories of communities that have maybe really been forcefully marginalized by this in the sort sort of South Asian canon, whether it be members of different caste communities and their stories, whether it be members of different religious communities who typically don't get viewing in the South Asian community. I'm really excited to tell those stories. And then I'm really, really excited to tell stories of brown joy. Um, I think frequently I get a lot of scripts that are like teaching tales, lesson tales, somebody having to like explain their patka to their kindergarten class. And I think those stories are beautiful and great. And I love finding a home for them. But I also just really want a story about a brown kid who's kind of afraid to go to a pool, maybe, because they're just (laughs) afraid of the pool and the sharks in there. There are no sharks in pools for the kids listening out there. Uh, You know, like, I I want a story about a little girl getting a dog. Like, I kind of want someone to just start going through every story that had a white protagonist in a picture book. And just re- and replacing it with a brown one, because like, frankly, these stories are so ubiquitous to existence, like every child fears something, every child, you know, wants to make a to make this big jump and splash in a pool, like, let's give them voice and visibility and allow them to actively take up space on a bookshelf, because it's so, so important. So those are sort of there are two dichotomies, I guess, you know, one is these very marginalized stories and one are these stories um, of real joy. And I look forward to those stories also intersecting together. I love that. I, um, so that you, as you were speaking, I was thinking of um, a book called The Proudest Blue. Yes, um, I have that book. book. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Matthew and I talk about this book a lot. We both love it. But I love it because it, it's the thing that you just talked about, which is it's a hijabi girl. And she's talking about how excited she is to get her hijab, right? And like, it is not about teaching us what it means, right? It's literally about her joy mm-hmm. about this ex- this experience. and like her sister getting her, her blue, you know, like hijab. And that's a really big deal. And she's so proud and she's so beautiful. And like I, I, stories like that um, do some of the work of like the cultural explanation, but they do it in just like a little bit, just centering joy and centering like pride in your culture and your faith and your life. You know, yes, I like, I'm, I'm really tired of, feeling ashamed about my culture. And I think for so many children, that's their truth and that's okay. You know, and these stories are so important for them to feel visible and seen. And at the same time, I was like this tiny little girl who really loved being like Belugu and South Indian and kind of loved that. And I wish I could have seen more books of young kids celebrating themselves and just being like so damn comfortable in their bodies and their existence and their culture and just sharing it with the world. Like I, I really want stories like that and to see stories like that and to hear stories like that. Like Proudest Blue is one of my probably top stories, um, a top children's books um, that I've been reading for a while because I just, I love it so, so much. It's just wonderful. And I think that there are, I think we're in a, I hope we're in a golden age of kids literature where more and more of those because of presses like Mingo and Marigold and others, right? Like there are more and more of those types of stories in kids lit. You know, one thing I always talk about with Matthew when we're talking about like books that address race and things like that, for me growing up as a kid in kids literature, almost all of the stories I saw that looked had characters that looked like me were about civil rights or like (laughs) slavery or like whatever, which are important things. Like we should know those things. Right. But also we should have stories of just joy. Um, And I think that's why like 
books like A Snowy Day were so revolutionary when they came out because it was like just a little black boy walking in the snow, you know? Yeah, like, <laughs> just, that's all that that's it is. all that it is. And that's all that it has to be. Like, I guess one of the things that I'm incredibly exhausted with is um, this idea that black and brown bodies and black and brown children have to always bear the burden. And that's just not true. Like they have so much joy Mm -hmm. that they express, whether it's like cutting an apple, going to the market. Like I think there's so much there. And to just stick us into this box to help the white gaze feel comfortable feels so mm-hmm. I guess I'm like is, you know what it's 2020 we're all done with that like I'm yes, a, we are done I'm so <laughs> done with that so like I'm just gonna do my own thing over here and y'all call me when you're ready like that's sort of the vibe that I give off <laughs> well I'm so glad you're doing it you. um well tell me about what children's books, I mean, we talked about Proudest Blue, but what are you loving right now? And then, you know, we're heading into this brand new year, 2021. Thank the Lord. <laughs> and um, what kids lip are you looking forward to in 2021? Um, and they, they can be from your own press. Yeah, I, um, top of my mind, we were just typesetting the book Bravo Anjali earlier, like on Friday. And like, um, Dear God, it's taken my breath away. It like brings me to tears to talk about it because our illustrator, Lucia Soto, has just done this phenomenal job of capturing the entire essence of the book along with Sheetal's words. And um, it like it genuinely like brings me to tears to think that I have Mm -hmm. had something to do with that book. Like, because, you know, like, I think I, I would have, if I didn't have this press and it came out, like, I would have bought, like, 500 copies of it, you know? And now I'm, <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, this is something I have helped come to be. The smallest part have helped to come to be. And I'm incredibly humbled by that. And I'm deeply looking forward to that book um, that comes out. It comes out in September of next year. Every single one nice. of the Mango and Marigold press books. So Bindia in India, which, you know, officially comes out in January of this year by Monique. Um, and then in March, we will have the cover reveal of a really beautiful YA anthology that explores the intersection of race and identity in the South Asian experience. It's called Untold it's called Unbelonging, excuse me. And it's by Gayatri Sethi, who goes by Daisy Book Auntie on Instagram, if you're ever looking for her. Um, she has phenomenal book recs. And this book, again, I, I was just looking at the cover art today because and it, it takes my breath away. Um, our first, obviously, middle grade book, Rhea, is coming out, Rhea and the Blood of Nectar. And my daughter is anxiously. What a title. Right? Oh my gosh. And like, I, what a title. Right? And it is a series, it's a trilogy. Um, I couldn't get the author to write more than three books. Um, I was like, <laughs> what about a seven part series? She's like, this is not Harry Potter's Halloween. I was like, okay, but I'm just checking. I was like, maybe it's possible though. She's like, shh. Um, and that, like, I think the Rhea book is a really wonderful example of a brown kid just doing something awesome. And their brownness is not the centering of the story, you know? And then I think of other books that I'm really looking forward to coming out next year. One that stands out in my mind is Hair Twins by Rocky Merchandani. She is one of our authors, and this book is um, comes out with Little Brown, I think. And again, um, knowing her and knowing her passion, Hair Twins is just, it's, it's such a beautiful, beautiful book. And my goodness, I think, you know, I'm partially like losing all of my train of thoughts because a lot of the books that I read are dictated by my children. And my daughter, Ojavati, who is the inspiration and reason behind um, Mango and Marigold Press, she's really, really into graphic novels now. And I kind of love it because it's just such a fun space and age for her to be in. 
How old is she's she? She's seven. Um, she's a voracious okay. reader, much like yeah, Apple doesn't fall far from the tree, as they say. And um, she will like consume books in such a way, like at this point, because she's on vacation, like she's reading a book and listening to an audiobook. <laughs> I'm, like, I just want to be like, I don't like, I don't know what, like, I'm just like, I, you know what? Do you boo? Like, I love you. Like, I love <laughs> that this is your, that this is your centering place. And so I know I'm probably forgetting all of these amazing books by like fellow authors. Oh, Lakshmi's Mooch. Oh my God. Have you seen this book, Nicole? Yes, I have. I have. <laughs> excuse my language. I'm dying. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is a book. This is a book that we get to have and exist in this world. Like, OMG. OMG. Yes, I love um, it. I love it. We, we talked about that on our episode of like body positivity episode. We did. We um, we talked about Lexi's Mooch. I love I, it. I, I, love, I, it. I, I love, love it. I'm deeply looking forward to that book. Um, oh, and our girl, um, much ado about baseball. There's so many, like I could go on. It's, vi- it's really bad. I have a, intense addiction to books. <laughs> which it's I guess can, yeah it's a great addition yeah, I, it's the best addition. It, it really is <laughs> my husband's like hey we've got a lot of books and I was like mm, I don't know what you mean as I like quietly hide five or six more books that I purchased <laughs> I was like here we go no you didn't see that book here it's nowhere. yeah it's fine it's fine <laughs> It's totally fine. He won't notice. Um, Sailaja, it's been so lovely talking to you. Thank you for the beautiful books that you are producing at Mango and Marigold Press. Um, I am so excited about your upcoming 2021 list, and I'm excited to dive into those books um, and to share them with our audience on Kidlet these days. So thank you again for taking time to talk with us today. You got it. Thank you so much, Nicole. Appreciate your time and energy. This episode of Kidlet These Days is sponsored by Bookmarks, a customizable journal to record your reading life. Meet your new reading buddy, an all-in-one spot to record everything and anything book-related. Inspired by bullet journaling, Bookmarks offers ideas for setting up a multitude of book tracking pages with a mix of fill-in prompts, charts, lists, and plenty of dot grid pages to customize. To help expand your literary horizons, the journal also includes a section of recommended reading lists compiled by Book Riot. Use bookmarks to jot down what you're currently reading, what's on your nightstand, your favorite quotes, new vocabulary words, memorable characters, your reviews of recent reads, and more. A clever bonus, the back flap has a punch-out bookmark. Go to bookriot.com slash tracker for your copy. Okay, and that brings us to our book talking segment. Remember that you can find all of the books listed in our book talking segment in our show notes for this episode, episode number 45, and you can find those at bookriot.com slash listen. You can also share what you're reading or what you're hoping, looking forward to, expecting, excited about using hashtag Kidlit These Days over social media. Or heck, just write to us and tell us about it. Kidlit These Days at bookriot.com. We would love to hear from you. So, uh, Nicole, I see what you're going to recommend first. It is something we've brought up multiple times. <laughs> I want to ask if you've started this yet, oh, I just finished a yes or a no. I finished Oh my it. word, you're <laughs> way ahead of me. Okay, so please book talk your first book to us. I cannot wait. Um, so the first book is Amari and the Night Brothers. It's by B.B. Alston and it's coming out January 19th. And I just finished, finished the audio book, which is amazingly done. I thought it was so well done. Um, Amari Peters has never stopped believing her missing brother Quentin is alive, not even when the police told her otherwise or when she got in trouble for standing up to bullies who said he was gone for good. So when she finds a ticking briefcase in the closet containing a nomination for a summer tryout at the Bureau of Supernatural Affairs, she's certain the secretive organization holds the keys to locating Quentin. If only she can wrap her head around the idea of magicians, fairies, aliens, and 
other supernatural creatures all being real. Now she must compete for a spot against kids who've known about magic their whole lives. No matter how hard she tries, Amari can't seem to escape their intense doubt and scrutiny, especially once her supernaturally enhanced talent is deemed illegal. With an evil magician threatening the supernatural world and her own classmates thinking she's an enemy, Amari has never felt more alone. But if she does stick it out and pass the tryouts, she may never find out if she doesn't stick it out and try pass the tryouts. She may never find out what happened to Quentin. Ah, uh, Matthew, I I tweeted about it the day after I finished because, you know, I feel like we had some time earlier this year when she who must not be named was doing some uh, saying some really uh, transphobic things on on the interwebs where it was mm-hmm. like, what is the future of like the HP, the Harry Potter legacy? Um, where do we go in magical schooling? And I just felt like this was such a beautiful uh, jump forward in the magical schooling world. I just I loved this book uh, and I'm excited. It's clearly one of a series. So um, I'm excited to see what's next for Amari. Oh, that is so exciting. I'm I'm so glad you had a chance to just devour that book and that it <laughs> that it that it landed the way that it did. Ooh, I think this is not the last time we'll be hearing about Amari on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me throw you to uh to an author and illustrator of of books that I love. So, Nicole, I'm super excited to tell you about uh, this this new book series by Raul III, who uh, a year or two ago launched his Vamos series through Versify, the, the imprint that Kwame Alexander runs. Uh, his two Vamos picture books, uh, one is called Vamos, Let's Go to the Market, and the other one is Vamos, Let's Go Eat. These books are sort of Spanish and English language Richard Scary type books. And I mean that in the way that there is so much going on in each book that you can just follow a single character throughout the entire book, uh, doing different things, just living their life. Uh, but but it is a story about um, uh, the main character in, in Let's Go to the Market uh, delivering um, different items to people around the Mexican marketplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the the second book, uh, well, I should say, uh, Little Lobo, uh, the main character is obsessed with wrestling. <laughs> and, um, when Little Lobo, uh, discovers that one of the items he needs to drop off is for El Toro, which is like the, the number one, uh, Lucho Libre wrestler, uh, he has a chance to meet his hero, which is uh, also the hero of his favorite comic book series called El Toro and Friends. Well, now they're spinning off his Vamos series, not only into board books, but also into easy readers that are based on the different El Toro friends, the different yes. wrestlers. I'm so excited. I'm giddy about this. <laughs> so uh, the, they're going to come out two books at a time. The first two to come out are called Tag Team and Training Day. The covers look like comic book covers. They're they're told in paneled format, but they are easy reader uh, books. And I, I just, I can't wait for even more readers to discover this world, this Vamos world that Raul has. Uh, I interviewed him on the Children's Book Podcast, and believe it or not, he said he was dreaming up these characters in this world since he was a teen. So it has stuck with him forever. And when he went to this new publishing house and was able to pitch, you know, whatever idea, he he gets to make this world. There's something like... Four Vamos books, two out already, and two more coming. The El Toro books will have four total so far, two coming out. And then the board books similarly will have, uh, I think, four. So there's his his universe is, is expanding really, really quickly. And it's so wonderful. So I, I, I can't wait for folks that are not yet familiar with Raul's Vamos books to get to know them, but then to see easy readers come into play. Easy readers about Mexican wrestling characters. Come on. That's a part of someone's dream since they were a child. Get out of here. I love that. I love that. Um, Well, my book is, I'm super excited about this book, Root Magic. It's by Eden Royce, and it's coming out actually on January 5th. Um, and so the, the copy says that it's 1963, 
and things are changing for Jezebel Turner. Her beloved grandmother has just passed away. The local police deputy won't stop harassing her family. With school integration arriving in South Carolina, Jez and her twin brother Jay are about to begin the school year with a bunch of new kids. But the biggest challenge comes when Jez and Jay turn 11 and their uncle Doc tells them he's going to train them in root work. Jez and Jay have always been fascinated by the African-American folk magic that has been the legacy of their family for generations, especially the curious potions, powders Doc and Gran would make for the people um, on their island. But Jez soon finds out that her family's true power goes far beyond charms and elixirs, and not a moment too soon, because when evil, both natural and supernatural, comes to show itself in town, it's going to take every bit of magic she has inside her to see to see her through. I am so excited about this one because I spent a lot of, I went to undergrad in South Carolina and this highlights um, a history of, uh, of root work and um, ancestral knowledge that's like based in South Carolina, which I'm super, super excited about. And also I'm just shout out to black authors who are writing about root traditions um, in their books. I read a YA book uh, last year called Legend Born by Tracy Dion. And it was also talking about root work at a, at the, as a as a um, a type of black cultural knowledge, and I'm just so excited to see that represented in middle grade space. So I cannot wait till Root Magic comes out. That's wonderful. Well, the next picture book I have to share is one by an artist that I absolutely love and whose books I've talked about a lot on the show before. Her name is Juana Martinez Neal. She wrote a beautiful, beautiful picture book called Alma, How She Got Her Name that Mm -hmm. uh, won a Caldecott honor. Her next author illustrated book is called Zonia's Rainforest. And um, Zonia is... Uh, an indigenous child from Peru, uh, from a tribe called the Ashaninka. And um, Juana is also from Peru. Uh, this is a story about uh, a, a child who's, who, whose home uh, is indigenous to the Amazon rainforest. And it's also about the animals in the forest and the deforestation happening, the threat that's going on in that space. Uh, Juana's hand in this book is so beautifully and carefully done to respect the child, to respect the people, to respect the forest. I think that she is a very conscious illustrator and storyteller, uh, and this book uh, proves that, or continues to prove that. So Zonia's Rainforest by Juana Martinez-Neal will be coming out later this year. Uh, not a whole long time to wait, but but will be well worth it when it when it arrives. Yay! Um, so red, white, and whole by Rajni Laraka, um, who's a friend of yours, right, Matthew? Yeah, Rajni Laraka. She wrote um, Midsummer Mayhem. Did you ever read that I little did not. Gray novel? I did not. Oh, okay. We'll talk afterward. It's it's <laughs> like a um, it's it's like a Shakespeare. Uh, remix with a baking competition yes. and these fairies are Midsummer's Night's Dream. These fairies are causing the town to go crazy. It is so good. And this <laughs> new one, I've 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 had a, a a word doc on my desktop that I've been reading through of Rajani's draft. I'm so proud of her that this is coming out. I love it. It's a novel in verse. You and I were talking a little bit at the beginning. I wanted to represent novels in verse because they are coming in full for- force in 2021. Um, and so, and this one is out on February 2nd, um, and it says the heartbreaking, um, hopeful own voices novel is about an Indian American girl whose life is turned upside down when her mom is diagnosed with leukemia. Reha feels torn between two worlds, school, where she's the only Indian American student and home where her family's traditions and holidays. Um, but Reha's parents don't understand why she's conflicted. They only notice when Reha doesn't meet their strict expectations. Reha feels disconnected from her mother or Ama, um, although her name, their names are linked. Reha means star and Punam means moon, but they are a universe apart. When Reha finds out that her Ama is sick, really sick, um, Reha, who dreams about becoming a doctor, even though she can't stomach the sight of blood, is determined to make her Ama well again. She will be the perfect daughter if it means saving her ama's life. Um, I'm so excited about this book. Um, I just heard a couple of people had recommended it on their come upcoming for 2021. Um, oh, nice. And so, yeah, I'm excited. Oh, it's good. She's she's so good, and she has a podcast too. She has a uh, she co-hosts a podcast uh, about STEM 
about kid lit authors working in STEM fields because she has she herself is a doctor. Wow. So good good stuff. She Rajani is super amazing. Shout out to Rajani Laraka. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna share one more and then I promise just to do a lightning round of the rest. All right. But this next one is going to move you. It's the newest book by Anastasia Higginbottom, who wrote Not My Idea, a book about whiteness. Uh her new book is called What You Don't Know, a story of liberated childhood. Uh it is a beautiful book about queerness and blackness and the love that dismantles whiteness uh and the way that the publisher describes it which i can't do better than this it's so good (laughs) it goes like this it's a book about knowing deeply that you matter always did always will it's a book about what schools get wrong and churches don't say but institutions are made by people and the people are evolving It's a book about being known and cherished by family and living in communion with your own personal Jesus, Buddha, spirit, source, father, mother, God, breath, inner space, outer space, nothingness, and however else we name and relate to our divinity and humility in the presence of all we don't know. I just got chills. Oh, my God. This book. So to picture this book... um, it's 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 published by Daughter Press, and this is another small publisher that is able to do things a little differently than what's traditional, right? So picture a a picture book trim size, with very very few words on the page, but it's probably like maybe two or three times the width of a picture book. Okay. So more than thirty two pages, at least double that, I think. Um. So it it goes really really fast, but also gives you time to sit in this story and in this experience, it's, it's exceptional. Um, Anastasia has such a gifted hand. Again, I'm using that phrase a lot because like, this is a time to, to shout out to the people that are doing the very best in children's literature. And she knows how to confront difficult topics with respect mm. and, and, and saving dignity for, for children and, and those kids that intersect with these, with these topics. It's so wonderful. This book is, is so, so good. I, I, yeah, I can't wait for you to check it out. I want to. Um, okay, I'm going to add to the list. I think this is my final one. Baseball's Leading Lady, Effa Manley and the Rise and Fall of the Negro Leagues by Andrea Williams. And this is a nonfiction middle grades book. First of all, I just, I love anything that's about the history of the Negro Leagues because I feel like it is a completely underrepresented topic in everything. And so I yeah. always want to hear about it. Um, but this this book is says that before Jackie Robinson broke the major base major league baseball color barrier in 1947, black athletes played in the Negro Leagues on teams coached by black managers and cheered on by black fans and often run by black owners. And here is the riveting true story of the woman at the center of the black baseball world, Effa Manley, co-owner and business manager of the Newark Eagles. Elegant yet gutsy, she cultivated a powerhouse team. Yet just as her Eagles reached their pinnacle, so did calls to integrate baseball, a move that would all but extinguish the Negro Leagues. On and off the field, Effa hated to lose. She had devoted her life to black empowerment. But in the battle for black baseball, was the game rigged against her? Um, I'm just excited to read this. Um, and I want to read it to the kids in my life who are interested in black history um, and the things, the histories that we have forgotten in America. So That sounds great. Okay, so I'm going to lightning run through the, the remaining books. Um, but, but first and foremost, since we were talking about uh, novels and verse, I want to shout out Legacy by Nikki Grimes. Uh, this is her sequel to One Last Word, which was her book about the poets of the Harlem Renaissance, the male poets of the Harlem Renaissance, uh, where she uh, included books by authors of poets of the Harlem Renaissance uh, and then responded in poems using the golden shovel form. Um, This book, Legacy, highlights uh, female poets of the Harlem Renaissance and is... Nikki Grimes is is phenomenal. Uh, she this is the, also the first book that I've seen from her bearing the the sticker for the Children's Legacy Award. Yeah, so uh, it's 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 an awesome flex to have mm-hmm. Nikki Grimes' name on a book. Period. But then to show that sticker, I think really resonates backward to everything that she's written before this. I feel like this is a book that children are going to love and will cause them to go back and read her stuff, but also 
uh, more poems by these these poets of the Harlem Renaissance. So that's fantastic. Uh, I want to shout out to Michelle's Garden, How the First Lady Planted Seeds of Change by Cherie Miller, uh, who wrote uh, Don't Touch My Hair, a wonderful picture book. Um, this is this is about Michelle Obama's garden. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, a biography about a garden and all yeah. of the great, great good that Michelle did through that garden. Um, I want to shout out to I Sang You Down from the Stars. What is that? Tasha Spillett Sumner, illustrated by Michaela Goad. Michaela Goad is the illustrator of many, many books this year, but of We Are Water Protectors, which we highlighted in our best of 2020. Mm-hmm. And so I want to um, call it forward to what Michaela has coming out. And, and Tasha, uh, as well, is an indigenous author. Michaela is an indigenous illustrator. Um, and this is a book about about the bond between mother and child. And the final one I'll share, which was a book that I shared with my students before we went on winter break uh, and caused lots of conversations, which is the greatest. It's called Lakshmi's Mooch by Shelley Anand and illustrated by Navi H. Ali. This is a story about a girl's mooch, about her, her facial hair above uh, her lip. And uh, that being questioned by her classmates and then um, her having a lovely conversation with her parents about how everybody has that hair or some it hasn't grown in yet or whatever. Uh, And that it's a special thing that sets her apart. And uh, it's just the interactions in this book with her classmates are fantastic. Exactly what you would expect when a child would, would ask another child, why do you have hair on your lip or whatever? They, Shelley has anticipated all of that so perfectly and written it so so perfectly it's just great and have you seen the cover nabi has done the most wonderful the cover, cover is for this adorable book. it's adorable <laughs> it's so good it's so good and this is this is uh published by coquila we had uh the founder of coquila on the podcast a couple a couple months ago um, and so it's it's just wonderful to be looking at and highlighting what they are doing as well. So uh, we have a lot to look forward to, Nicole. I'm sure there's even more that we didn't get to that, that hopefully folks are going to uh, share with us so that we can just add on to that TBR pile because mm, I love I love a good book recommendation. Yes, so do I. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. And as always, we would love your feedback on this podcast. And we always appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. You know, when you do that, you help other people find us. You can find me, Matthew Winner, at Matthew Winner on Twitter. And me, Nicole Young, on Twitter at at IttyBittyNY. Thank you to Dr. Baker for sound editing on this episode. If you have a story idea, reach out to us on social media using hashtag KidLitTheseDays or email us at KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com. We would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you would like to hear on the show. May your coming days be storied and may the good stories keep on coming. Mm-hmm.